Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, good morning, everyone. Like Chris said, my name is Nate. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, one of the things that you will learn about me very early on is that I have been in and around startups my whole career. Now, there was a moment very early in my startup career, about a a decade ago, when I had been working for about 100 days straight. Now, I was exhausted, but truth be told, I also loved it. The reason was that I couldn't release what that nonstop work was giving me in identity. So the guy that I was building that company with, his name was Brian. He, seeing this, decided that he was gonna book a little Airbnb, a cabin, out in the woods for us to work in. So if we were gonna be working from Friday night until Monday morning straight, at least we were gonna do it somewhere beautiful. Now it was a Saturday night, we had just finished up grilling dinner, and I cracked open my laptop again, and I went right back to working away. And so Brian looks at me, and he turns and he says, you know, Nate, you can just be. And not really understanding what he was trying to get at, I look at him, I'm like, what do you mean, be? And so he says, well, you can just be Nate sometimes. And again, kind of missing what he was trying to tell me, I just went right back to working and I was like, thanks, Brian, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Now, the choice of Brian's words there were significant. He was trying to remind me that I could just be. He didn't say to stop or to rest. He was saying, Nate, you can just be. It wasn't until the following night when I was sitting on the edge of my bed in that Airbnb trying to calm down enough so that I could go to sleep that the significance of what he was hinting at finally hit me. You see, there was this wave of anxiety that crashed over me as a result of doing nothing. Literally, because I was doing nothing, I was anxious. You see, that night exposed me to the reality that my activity defined me. I was what I did. And I did a lot of different things depending on the week. So if I was training, I was a cyclist, a runner. If I was hanging out with family, I was a son, I was a brother. Now, if I was working, I was an entrepreneur and I really liked that identity, so that's what I gravitated toward. And I I hope you can't relate to me here, but maybe you can, maybe you've had one of these experiences. For me, I mean, simply put, my activity was my identity. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're sitting there thinking to yourself, like, who am I? Like, really, at the deepest level, Who am I? If you have, you know it's bewildering, it's disorienting, crushing even. And so today, the truth that we're gonna dig into as we continue the Who is Jesus series, and we dig into John 7, is this. You and I, we all have the same identity. We've all been adopted as sons or daughters of God the Father. So our identity isn't something that we can create or we can build for ourselves here on earth. Instead, it's actually something that we receive from heaven. So we first see this in John, and back in chapter 1, when he's referencing Jesus' identity as the Son of God. So it says in verse 32, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. So here, John is referring to Jesus' baptism. And if you look at Matthew's gospel, he expands on this story back in chapter 3. He says, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, here's the important piece. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
Now, what sticks out to me about this point is that this was before Jesus had officially kicked off his ministry. So technically speaking, he hadn't really accomplished anything, which meant that his identity wasn't found in what he was doing. It was just found in being, in being God's son. And he listened to his father's voice confirming that. And actually, that's the reason why this scene is illustrated all up my arm, tattooed on me as a reminder that my identity isn't found in what I'm doing. My activity doesn't define me. But rather, if I would just sit still to hear God's voice to remind me of who I truly am. So here's the big idea for us all today that we're going to unpack together. You are who God, your Heavenly Father, says that you are. There's no other source, no other voice behind your true self. And the related question that we're going to unpack today is, given everything that goes on around us in the world, is who are you looking to to find your identity? To God, your Father, or... Is there another source? It's like the author Paul Tripp puts it, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. If I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold up a mirror of God's word in front of me. I kind of like that visual, like trying to find our identity in this world is like walking around a carnival or a fun house, looking at all of the different mirrors and seeing the shifting, distorted images and believing that that illusion is actually who we truly are or what we look like. The writer Henry Nouwen expands on this idea of the illusion of the false self by saying Jesus came to announce to us that an identity based on success, popularity, power, you can insert whatever your cultural drug of choice is. For me, it was work, still is work. Loudly and clearly, he says it's an illusion. You are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. You see, Jesus can relate. He had a very similar experience many different voices and opinions trying to tell him who he was debating his identity. So this is what we're going to read today in John chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in John 7. If you're new to the library of scripture, you want to go about two-thirds of the way to the right and you're going to find it. it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Um, as Chris mentioned, you can also open up the app and it's going to take you right to that passage. And so here we're going to read all sorts of claims, debates, discussions about who Jesus is. And what you'll find is that despite all of this, Jesus was consistent. He knew who he was. He knew who he belonged to because he had the voice of his father speaking to him. So to set up the passage just slightly, and then we'll dig into different pieces of the passage. So the, the passage starts out during an ancient Jewish fest festival. Well, that's a bit of a tongue twister, ancient Jewish, Jewish festival called the Festival of Tabernacles or of Booths. And this was a time or a reminder of when God provided for the Israelites as they were wandering through the desert. Now, how they celebrated or remembered that is they would make a temporary or makeshift dwelling outdoors, sometimes on the roof in the street or out in the countryside, pretty much what we call camping in Colorado. Well, kind of. And so we're going to start in verse two here. And then we're going to pick up and we're going to skip through a couple different key pieces to the chapter together. So starting in verse 2, when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus's brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea. So Galilee, small town, Judea, big town, kind of center of religious activity, so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers didn't believe in him. So Jesus responds, he tells them, my time is not yet here for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Now, eventually Jesus does decide that it's time for him to go up to the festival. So if we pick up in verse 11, 
The Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said he's a good man, while others said, no, he deceives people. So there is a debate that's going on about who exactly Jesus is. So if we pick up now in verse 14, it says, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. So the Jews there were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Again, there's debate about who Jesus is. Is he part of an upper-class, educated group of people? Or is he possessed by a demon, on the other hand? So if we continue now, in verse 25, it says, At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him, which is a little confusing, right? If you're trying to kill somebody and he shows up there, what's going on? Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? That may explain it. But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So skipping down the last piece in the chapter that we're gonna read and then we're gonna dig in from here. So if we pick up in verse 40, here's the link to discussing where Jesus came from and how it impacted the way in which others saw who Jesus was. So on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. And still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? So this is the kind of the summary verse, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. So throughout the conversations that John is including here, discussions between Jesus and his brothers, the people at the festival, the religious leaders, nobody comes to any level of consensus on Jesus's true identity. You see, some call him a good man, others say he's a deceiver, some call him just a prophet, while others are saying he's the Messiah. Some are saying he's intelligent, educated. Others are like he's possessed by a demon. This summary in verse 43, the people were divided. And really, it's no different for you and I today. We have just as many different voices around us shouting at us, trying to tell us who we are. However, we're not quite as good as Jesus was at filtering out those different voices. We let other voices, and even our own, thinking about maybe a past regret or a current set of circumstances, tell us who we are. There's this saying that goes, I'll read it slowly, it's, it's kind of a mind bender. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. So if you can pick up on this, the idea is that we put so much weight onto other voices around us, letting, us, letting it define us and tell us who we are, as opposed to looking to the one true source and the one voice speaking to us that tells us who we truly are, our Heavenly Father, reminding us that we're all adopted as daughters and sons of God. Now, if you think about it, when was the last time, maybe during a wave of uncertainty, anxiety, like what I described earlier for myself, that you pause and the question that you ask is, what is it that God says about me? Now, I'd like to try something. If for a minute you all would be open to it, close your eyes and just be for a minute. Take a bit of a breath 
And I think if we were to listen to what Jesus was saying to us, what we would hear about God the Father reminding to us, I think it might go something like, son, daughter, I love you. Before you were born, I was counting the hairs on your head. Every detail about you, I designed. The way that you are, who you are, it's all on purpose. You are as you should be because you are just as I am. I made you in my image. I've held nothing back from you. I even sent your older brother Jesus to die to bring you back to our family so that we could be together now and forever. I can't wait for you to see who you truly are, who I say you are. Now you can open your eyes, and if it's not already a practice that's a part of your week or your, your regular rhythm, I would encourage you to try something like that, to make time just to be, to be still and to listen to the Father's voice. I like the way C.S. Lewis describes this. He says, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and your hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And so the first job each morning is this, it consists simply in shoving them all back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in and so on all day long. So here's the question for us today. Have we heard our Father's voice clearly enough so that we can push back all of the other identities that will rush at us from the world so that we can embrace and live into our true selves or our true identity as a son or daughter, God or Father, so that we may be firm and consistent in a chaotic world. Now, that's the introduction. Those are the three pieces that we're gonna go into. So let me read this one more time, and then we're gonna keep rolling. So the three parts to the question here. Have we heard our Father's voice clearly enough to one, push back the identity that other sources are going to try to give us, so that two, we can live out our true self or our true identity as a son or a daughter of God, so that three, we could remain firm and consistent amidst a chaotic world. So this first piece here, our identity by default. So what we're talking about here is gonna take a little bit of work because we live in a noisy world. It's almost as if we've stepped into a room and there are four different sound systems all playing, different soundtracks at the same time. It is incredibly hard to hear anything. It's enough to drive you crazy, let alone if you look at how God's voice is described throughout scripture, it's a still, it's a small voice. It's hard to hear, in other words, with all of those different soundtracks playing around us. So we're gonna put a label to each of those different soundtracks. And you know, there are different volumes of each. Other ones may or may not resonate with you more than others. And so as we go through these, consider to what extent each of these may be playing in your own life. So the first identity that others will try to put on you is the familiar or a family-based identity. So this one says you are who your family is. And for most of the world, this has been and is still true today you're defined by your family's standing. That's why introductions used to go something like, I am Nate, son of Craig, son of Naeem, and so on. And the caste system, the monarchy, all parts of the world still operate in this way. Where you were born defines who you are. So we see this in verse 41 to 42 in the passage. It says, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? And so here, Jesus are questioning, people are questioning whether or not Jesus' identity truly could be that of the Messiah because of who his family of origin is and where he came from. Now, here's the second identity that we can often find in the world. It's the accomplished identity. And this one says, you are what you've accomplished or what you achieve. 
your activity, your profession, they're all trophies or measuring sticks to tell you your worth. For example, this is the identity that I've gravitated toward and I mentioned earlier, operating in a relatively intense field in building startup companies. It's also what we see Jesus's brothers referencing so early on in the passage in verses three to four, his brothers are saying, leave Galilee, go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. You see, his brothers want him to display great works. They want him to be known based on what he can do. And this is where the lies of your identity in the world can become particularly insidious as different soundtracks, different identities begin to mix. Because you see, if Jesus was known based on what he could do and they were his brother, the familiar identity, that would elevate their standing, right? So you can see how these start to mix. Now, the third one, the next one, this is the materialist identity. This one says you are what you have, what you own, what you wear, how you look. And there's a, a story about this. There's a, a group of guys who are hanging out in the locker room of an upscale country club. And as they're chatting, the phone on the bench begins to ring and one of the guys picks it up and answers it and says, oh, hi, honey. He says, you're, oh, you're out shopping. And so the other guys are kind of looking and they're listening in all smiles. And the guy on the phone says, oh, you're looking at carpets. And they'll throw in the curtains for just another 5,000? Well, if you like them, suppose that's fine. Now, all the other guys are starting to chuckle a little bit louder. So the conversation on the phone continues. And he says, oh, and the builder's gonna come by later today. Just a, another 175,000 for the deck if we sign today? Okay, I mean, if that's what you really want. Now, all of the other guys, their laughs turn immediately to jealousy because they want what this guy has. So he says, okay, honey, I'll see you later. And then he holds up the phone and he says, does anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> so the point being, if your identity is based on what you have, you'll forever be in competition with each other. It, it won't satisfy if your identity is tied to what you own or what you buy. Jesus talks about this in verse 37, back in the chapter, he says, in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Jesus, by the Spirit, is the only source of identity and life that will truly fulfill and satisfy. Now, here's the, the fourth and the last identity that we're gonna cover. It's the religious identity. And this one says, you are how you behave. And this was a particularly strong identity in the context or the ancient time of the passage in which we're reading today. You see, the Pharisees created and burdened people with sets of rules, regulations that they created. And it's why Jesus is called out for healing a lame man on the Sabbath. So picking up in verse 23 of the passage, Jesus responds to this by saying, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. In other words, Jesus was pushing back on the voice or the rules created by men and instead speaking what is true based on what he hears from his father. Now, here's the rub. If you are who your family is, what happens when you're born into a bad situation? If you are what you do, what happens when you fall short or you lose your job? If you are what you own, what happens when the house burns down? If you are how you look, what happens when you age in a way that you don't like? Or if you are how you behave, what happens when you slip and fall? 
There's a children's story that I think sums this up very nicely. It's called A Case of Bad Stripes. You may remember it from when you were a kid, or maybe you've read this one. I see some nods. Maybe you've read this one to your kids. So in it, the main character, Camilla, secretly loves lima beans, but everybody else in her class thinks that that's gross. And so she tries to hide it. She doesn't want anybody to know that really who she is is somebody that loves lima beans. Now she wakes up on the first day of school with solid color rainbow stripes up and down her whole body. So the family doctor comes to check it out and it's weird, but he's like, I think she can go to school. She's okay. Now on throughout the story, and whenever somebody says something about Camilla, she turns into what that person has said. So they call her an animal, she grows a tail. They call her gross, she grows bacteria on her skin. On and on, all throughout the day, sprouting feathers, berries, so on. Now finally, an old lady appears in the story and she hands Camilla a bunch of lima beans. Now Camilla eats them, finally embraces what is true about her, that she loves lima beans, and she goes back to being good old Camilla. And so the idea is that Camilla is constantly shifting until she finds a firm foundation, lima beans. Now, lucky for us, our foundation isn't lima beans, it's, it's Jesus, it's far more firm. To return to C.S. Lewis, I love the way that he kind of builds on this idea by saying, your real new self will not come as long as you're looking for it. It will come when you are looking for him. Even in social life, you will never make a good impression on others until you stop thinking about what sort of impression that you're making. This principle runs through all of life, top to bottom. Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Look for yourself and you'll find only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin. But if you look for Christ, you'll find him and with him, everything else thrown in. So this is the alternative. And so this is the second piece that we're going to dig into. Your alternative is a firm identity in Christ. In Christ, you're adopted as a son and a daughter of God the Father. So to revisit what John said back in chapter 1 that we talked about earlier, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave authority to become children of God, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so God, by his free gift of grace through Jesus Christ, that's the source of your true self. Because in Christ, you're loved regardless of where you come from. And in Christ, you're loved regardless of your employment. And in Christ, you're loved regardless of how you look, what you own. And in Christ, even it's true, you're loved regardless of how you behave. And so this phrase was Christ's, or Paul's rather, favorite way to talk about identity. You, you hear this refrain on repeat, in Christ. In Christ all throughout the New Testament and through his letters. What he was pointing to is this reality that you are soaked in the blood of Christ so that what is true about the way in which God the Father looks at his son Jesus is also true about the way in which he looks at you. It's pretty incredible. So as you maybe hear others talking about you, or you stop and you do hit one of those questions and you wonder, who am I really? We can listen to God's voice reminding us that we can find the answer in Christ. Now, Here's the last piece that I want to dig into together during our time. And it's five different examples of how Jesus, by living out his identity as God's son, is firm and consistent among all of the different debates and whispers and opinions swirling around him. So the first example that we see is that Jesus is firm in his identity regardless of accomplishment or appearance. You see, Jesus lived with his brothers and others for 30 years until he formally started his ministry, which is pretty incredible because that means that there weren't miracles, signs of his 
divinity. In other words, he was so human that even his own brothers, it says back in verse 5, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Yet, Jesus knew who he was. He had nothing to prove during those first 30 years because he was listening to his father's voice. And you also can listen to and trust in your father's voice regardless of what you accomplish. Because your identity is given to you, it's something that you receive from heaven. It's not something that you build or you create here on earth. Now, the other piece of this is you don't need to appear to be somebody that you're not, and Jesus knew this. There's uh, one other story about a little girl that I think captures this very nicely. She was balding, constantly teased by kids in her class. However, her father, every single day, would tell her how beautiful he thought that she was. So one day, she wakes up, and after her father says, you're beautiful, I love you, she goes and looks in the mirror and sees that she has just three hairs left on her head. And so she says, you know what? I think I'll wear a braid today. That'll be nice. Now, a couple days later, she wakes up again, and again, her father says just how beautiful he thinks she is. And she looks in the mirror, and this day, she just has two hairs left. So she says, you know, I think a center part will look nice. So she parts her hair and goes on about her day. Now, a few days later, she wakes up. Again, she hears her father say just how beautiful he thinks she is. And she goes to the mirror, and she has just one hair left, and she says, perfect. I was going to wear a ponytail today. So the idea is that you are loved just as you are, not for how you appear, not for what you accomplish, as long as you listen to the voice of your Father telling you what is true about you. Now here's the second example that we see about our identity and the example that Jesus gives us about finding a firm foundation amidst others' desires. So if we go back to what Jesus' brothers were saying about him early in the passage, it's interesting to hear how they were projecting their own desires onto him. So in verse 4, it says, No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. But what's interesting is where are they getting this idea that Jesus wants to become a public figure? Nowhere in Jesus' life would you get that impression. It's coming from nowhere else but inside of themselves. And often, people's opinions that they express about us is more a reflection of themselves, their own values, who they want to become. It's more like a mirror back to themselves. And so the idea is, listen to your father's voice, not others as they project their desires onto you. Now, the third example that we see is a, a pretty intense one. Your identity can be firm even amidst hate. So Jesus said in verse 7, and then later down in verse 19, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You see, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he called them out. The Pharisees had created or architected a social system that afforded them powers and privilege that was pretty comfortable. Like, they didn't want that to go away, and yet Jesus consistently spoke out against that. I mean, some of his sharpest critiques were reserved for the religious leaders. Yet, he never cowered. In fact, he was courageous in how he spoke. This is how his speech is described in verse 46. It says, no one ever spoke the way that this man does. And that's the thing. When you clearly hear your father telling you who you are, you're able to speak clearly and courageously into the world. Now, the fourth example that we find from Jesus is that our identity is firm amidst lies. So in verse 18, it says, the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. 
So a good example or a good reference from Jesus's life comes in Matthew chapter four, which is describing when Jesus for 40 days had fasted. So dude was pretty hungry at this point. And that's when Satan comes to tempt him. And he says, turn these stones into bread so that you can eat. But if you look at how Satan sets up the temptation, how he frames this, he says, if you are really the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And so Satan's primary form of spiritual warfare that he's using here and that he still uses with us today is to spin lies, to tell you lies about the person that you are. Now, had Jesus caved to that temptation, what, what would he be doing? He'd be trying to prove himself or working for his own glory, as opposed to what it says in the verse, there is no falsehood in the one who seeks the Father's glory. He was focused on his Father's voice. Now, the last example that we'll cover here from Jesus's life is that his and your identity is firm amidst whispers. So there's all different types of beliefs that we see about people saying who Jesus is. But one in particular that was very strong at this point in time or in this context was the family identity. You see, in this culture, where you came from determined who you were. And that's why the Jews expected that one day the Messiah would just kind of appear and burst on the scene. Nobody really truly knowing where he was coming from. So this is how the people are whispering about his identity in verses 26 and 27. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? We know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. And so if you look at what Jesus says back, he says two things. One, I came directly from God. And then two, he says, you don't know God. And to the, the people at this point in time, to a Jewish audience who believed they were God's chosen people, set apart from other people groups, this would have been deeply insulting for Jesus to say, you do not know God. But what he's referencing here is his unique relationship living in and listening to his father's voice as his son. And so the idea here is, don't let anybody tell you who you are, regardless of where you come from. The truth is that you are a son or daughter adopted into the father of God. Now, in closing, I wanna leave you with a couple different questions that you can think on throughout the week that ties back to this kind of big idea or this series of questions that we've been talking about as we go. So first, have you heard your father's voice clearly? Have you made the space just to be, um, to listen, to reflect? It's like that quote that we heard from Lewis earlier. The first job every morning is just to push back the other voices that come rushing in. Now, if you think about those other voices or those other identities that the world will try to give to you, what other false identities have you found yourself believing earlier? Again, for me, sitting in that little cabin was the first time that I realized it was the accomplished identity, that I was my activity, my work. Is there a certain illusion maybe that you started to believe, a lie that you started to internalize? And the idea is that once you identify these, here's the next question, are you living out your true identity as a son or a daughter of God the Father? And do you really believe this? I mean, it is something that intellectually we've heard if you've been around the church, a few times, it's probably something you've heard this phrase, you're a son or a daughter of God, but do you truly believe that you are loved regardless of what you do, what you own, where you came from, what you do or do not accomplish? So that three, here's the last piece to reflect on, so that you may be firm and consistent in a chaotic world. Think about the week that's coming up. Set of circumstances, scenarios that maybe is giving you a little bit of uncertainty, a little anxiety that might be rising to the, sur the surface. How will you live out your identity in Christ so that you may be firm? Now, 
you can't get enough C.S. Lewis inside of one message. So we're going to end with one quote from Lewis, and then we're going to continue on with some prayer and worship here together. So Lewis says, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become, because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I finally begin to have a personality of my own. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, making each of us who we are, for bringing everybody together in this room this morning. And uh, most of all, thank you for sending your son, for choosing um, that you would send him to die on the cross so that we would be a part of your family both now and forever, and that that's something that's firm, that we can count on. So, Lord, thank you again for um, the gift of being a part of your family and for the time together this morning. 